I'm super excited this morning to share a message. Um, we're in between series. We finished the series last week. We're starting a new series next week. And so this week, we really experienced God wanting to speak to us about His plan over generations. Generations. We had an incredible generational moment this morning. And so I want to talk to us about God's plan over generations. There's two things, two important things in that title. Is that God has a plan for mankind, but it's not a single generational plan. It's a plan that goes beyond your generation. It's a plan that precedes your generation. It influences, it comes into your generation. It's part of your generation. Is that, is that me? Am I feeding Okay, but all is okay. It's a plan that is in our generation, but it's a plan that will continue on long after you are gone. And so I want to talk about that this morning. But to start off, I want to tell you a story now. Some of you might know, I used to be a sprinter, a 200 and 400 meter sprinter. Uh, uh, was good days, that is. Um, I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But as a sprinter, one of the most fun things that I could be part of is relays, okay? Anyone else? Yes, Lindry, relay learner. Anyone else who used to run relays? Come on, let the nostalgia fill this room. Yes. So I used to be, I ran 4x100, I ran 4x400. I loved the relays, okay? This picture is the picture from 2015. That was in Stellenbosch, the SA Senior Championships. Our twos that we're showing is not peace. We uh, got a silver medal in the 4x400 meter relay at SA Senior Champs. Um, and that was an awesome moment. So I wanted to share that a bit with you. But one time when I was in primary school, uh, we were running against Fontainebleau. Okay? I was in law school, Feland, and we were running against Fontainebleau. And we wanted to beat them with everything in us. So we were psyched, hyped. Getting our relay team ready, the gun goes off, flying away, and at the first handover, the first changeover, we dropped the baton. Yes. And instead of picking the baton up, we see Fontainebleau, and we're like, run, without the baton. And the second guy goes running, and he just, like, imaginary baton, you know, hand slaps, comes to me, I'm ready, we're going to fool the officials, I get the hand slap, I run, and we beat Fontainebleau, we beat Fontainebleau, alright, next point, no, I'm kidding, obviously it didn't matter, we were disqualified, it's not that we just lost to Fontainebleau, we didn't place, we didn't even, our names were there, eighth place, DNF or D DQ, we dropped the baton. Didn't matter how well we ran, didn't matter how fast we were, none of it mattered if you dropped the baton. If you watch modern Olympic games, I think the Commonwealth gold medalist this year was Brazil, 
if I'm not mistaken, in the 4 by 100 meter relay. Guys, Brazil, I think they beat Jamaica. They are not faster than Jamaica, but they were better with the baton. In a relay race, in the Olympic Games, the team that often wins is most often the team that is the best with the baton. Now, God has given us a baton. God has a plan for humanity, an end race, a victory, the line that He calls us to cross. And He has given us a baton if we want to enter the victor's area. But we need to ensure that we never drop the baton. That the baton is handed over from generation to generation to generation. So this morning, I want to ask the question, how are we going to ensure that we reach the end as victors? How are we going to ensure that we do not ever drop the baton, but that we receive it well, we run with it well, and we hand it over well? To do that, we're going to be preaching from Psalm 102, verse 18 to 22. We're in the Psalms, incredible Psalm that really speaks so beautifully about what we want to talk about this morning. So I'm going to read the psalm. Psalm 102, verse 18 to 22 said this. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That He looked down from His holy height. From heaven the, look, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners. To set free those who were doomed to die. That they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord. In Jerusalem His praise. When the peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. From this scripture, how do we ensure we reach the end of the race as victors? We never drop the baton. The first thing we need to have, we need to be united in our passion for the baton. We need to be united in our passion for the baton. As I said, you cannot win the race without the baton. No baton, no victory. According to the psalm, what is the baton? The baton is this. Verse 19, that God looked from His holy height. From heaven He looked and He sees and He hears the groans of the prisoners to set free those who are doomed. The baton is a message. It is the good news gospel message that God was in His holy heights in heaven and He saw the groans of mothers praying for their husbands to prioritize God and the family above their jobs. It is that children who were abandoned, neglected, and broken, cried out to the Lord for their situation, and He heard them. It is that fathers walking around with the pain of their previous generations are crying out, and the Lord hears their groans, and He answers. Whenever the word says the Lord sees or the Lord hears, it means that God is not just sitting there and He's hearing something. It means that God is mobilizing all of His goodness 
to do something about it. And God did do that. He became a man in Jesus Christ. And he lived perfectly. And Jesus, wherever he was walking on the earth, the sick were being healed. The captives were being set free. Demons were cast out. Jesus Christ came to answer the groans. And then he died on a cross, the death that all of us who are hurt and all of us who are hurting deserve in our place. Jesus rose from the grave so that when we believe in him, we might be able to cross the line, to enter the victor's realm and spend the rest of our days in unity with God. That is the baton. The baton is the gospel. The gospel is not just a once-off thing, friends. It is a thing, it is a message, a truth, where when you are reconciled with God, your need for sin stops. Because here's the, the crazy thing about sin and God and separation, is when we sin, it causes separation, and separation causes us to sin even more. God interrupted the cycle. He said, no longer separation based on your actions. But now, salvation based on your faith in Jesus. We are one. No more need for sin. No more need for destruction. Listen to what Timothy Keller says about the gospel. He says, the gospel is not just the way to enter the kingdom of God. It's not just the line. It's not just the baton that you need to actually place on the podium. It is the fundamental dynamic for living the whole Christian life. Gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It is the A to Z. We never get beyond the gospel in our Christian life to something more advanced. We're not justified by the gospel and then sanctified by obedience in our own actions. The gospel is the way we grow and are renewed. It's not just the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom. It is the way we make all progress in the kingdom. So, the key to continual and deeper spiritual growth is the continual rediscovery of the gospel how to orient every part of our life around it. Friends, we drop this baton. Then we lose the race. Here's how we drop this baton. We drop the baton when things like our jobs, our possessions, our renown, our image, our relationships, even our feelings become more important than Jesus, than the gospel. A good example, King Hezekiah, you can read his story in 2 Chronicles 28. Um, one of my favorite kings, one of my favorite kings, when uh, King Sennacherib of the Assyrians, I believe it was Sennacherib of the Assyrians, attacked Israel, Hezekiah worshipped God with music, and God sent an angel who slew 185,000 people in one night. If that happened in eight hours, the angel killed six men per second. That was King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah broke down the idol worship. He broke down images. He broke down the things that were in the place of God. And he erected altars and places for people to worship the one and only God. Hezekiah was an incredible king. And then his son Manasseh came. And he broke down every single altar that Hezekiah raised up to God. 
one generation later. We are not completely sure why, but one thing that we can say is that Hezekiah did not relay the same value and love for God to his son that he had himself. We drop the baton when we change the message. When we say the message is religious, it is you get into heaven based on doing good. When we start preaching messages, telling each other, yeah, I do my best, I try my best, I don't sin so much, so I probably go to heaven. Sounds good, you mean well, you're not going to heaven based on your actions, based on your faith in Jesus Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith. We drop the baton when we keep it to ourselves. This is, the, this is the death of Europe, is that you are welcome to be a Christian. Just don't force it down on me. Just don't share it. Practice it on your own. Keep it to yourself. We see someone like Joseph. Joseph did incredible things. He saved the whole of Egypt by dreams and visions that God gave him. And a couple of kings later, they did not remember Joseph or anything that he did and a, and a pharaoh comes and he institutes slavery of Joseph's people. We drop the baton when you just do nothing about it. That's when we drop the baton. Now, how do we not drop the baton? How do we hand it over? How do we, how do we progress and run with it? Here's how we run with it. The main medium that Jesus Christ has given us to hand over the baton, to pass the baton is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. When we make disciples, in other words, when we have intentional relationships with people where we influence them and each other to follow Jesus Christ, to fish for unbelievers, and for that to feed back into local spiritual family, we fellowship with believers so that the local body is strengthened and can go again, is how we pass over the baton. We make disciples. That's how we pass it over. Now, we as a church, every nation church, we prioritize disciple making so much. Here's why. Many reasons. Man, we can do a sermon on that on its own. One of the main reasons that changed my life was I grew up in church and I got hurt in a lot of churches. Many churches I got hurt. And one of the things that bothered me the most was if I were to walk into the back of the church, and right there, sitting at the back, nothing against you guys sitting at the back, now you're sitting there because you have children, or you were late, cease fear. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I would walk in, see here at the back, and I would see the guy who was two nights ago, blaspheming, drunk out of his mind, and he's standing there, praising God, Telling everyone how good a Christian he is, he goes back into the world and there's just absolutely nothing, nothing in his life that changed. That happens in a church that prioritizes this Sunday experience above discipleship. That happens in a church that measures the wrong things, that counts the amount of numbers, the amount of people we have on the seats, and not the amount of people whose lives are transformed by Jesus Christ. So I want to call on you. If you are in this church and you are not part of discipleship, when this service ends, you mock Potiphar. You run to that book and info table. You say, I want to be part of discipleship. 
We have a clearly communicated discipleship structure for you to be a part of. Become a part of that. It'll change your life forever. You will receive a baton. You will run well, and you will hand it over well. Pastor Steve Murrell says, the gospel is always one generation away from extinction. G. Carson's, Carson says, it might take two. He says, because the first generation believes the truth, the next one will assume it's true. That's why the third one will forget it, and deny that it's true. We need to be united in our passion for the baton. We need to be united in our passion for the gospel. The second thing we need is we need to be united in our honor for the team. Psalm 102 verse 18 says, Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. This psalmist recognized that God's vision, his plan, runs beyond his own generation. So he honors those who will come after him. And he says, record it. Write it down. Write down what's happening so that those who are yet to come might be honored by the truth and might run well. But you know what? He also assumes something. He assumes that the younger generation is going to honor what he has done. It's going to honor how he has ran. There are so many stigmas with regards to the older and the younger generation. You guys need to listen up well now, okay? The youth sitting here on my left. You guys are awesome. Sometimes the older generation is proud, self-wise. The younger generation can be ignorant and, well, self-wise. need to get over this. The reality is, at some point, the generations will lead together, run together. It's one place where my analogy falls short. When you hand over the baton, you stop, you retire to the crowds. You clap hands, go. We never stop until we cross the line. That's why I want to change my analogy and say what we need to do is we need to create more lanes. And we need to have a lot of batons and a lot of people running the same race until we all cross the line. But you know what that means? That means that the older generation at some point is going to run with the younger generation. You don't like your parents, sorry, you're going to run and lead with them. You are irritated at your children, sorry, if we want to cross the line as victors and make sure that this baton is passed over, we need to run together. Look at Psalm 71 verse 8. It says, even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation. Your might to all who are to come. So I ask a question. Younger generation, youth, students, all the younger generation, do you honor those who have gone before you, who have run miles so that you do not have to start where they started but can start where they finish older generation do you honor those who are younger 
who will by God's grace and by your labor be better than what you were so that we can get ahead at some point. Look at what 3 John verse 4 says. This is at the end of John's life, his final letter. He says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Come on. Can the older generation in here take joy when your children are better than you? When they run better than you? And then I want to say, hey, younger generation, do you want to maybe trust that the older generation will actually, actually help you be better? Man, there is so much I've learned from my father, my dad. Right now where I'm standing, I just finished my bachelor's in theology. Like, yes. Thank you. I got my final exam mark yesterday, five minutes before I left to go to my dukebrai, uh, my nappy brai. Got my final exam mark and I'm through. I'm happy. I've got my bachelor's in theology. Praise God. I'm probably now the smartest and the wisest I have ever been. (laughs) I've got to be, okay? I'm progressing in the race. I hope so. But I'm sitting next to the fire at my nappy braai. My father sits next to me and we have a conversation. And as I'm sitting there, I say something and I realize that is the very same thing that my father said when I was a 15-year-old teenager and I didn't want to hear it. At my wisest and smartest place, I start realizing that a lot of the truth that my dad gave me that I rejected are actually true. But now they make sense. And I was too pride, prideful, too self-centered, too stubborn, too set on finding my way to hear it. So I want to give you two, three brilliant New Testament characters that did this. We see Barnabas, Paul, and Timothy. Barnabas was afraid, Paul was a racist, and Timothy was insecure. Hectic, right? And then the baton came to them. The gospel changed these men. And so Barnabas was the one guy to go to Paul who used to kill Christians and say, let's give this guy a chance when everyone else rejected him. Barnabas was that guy. And you know what? He included Paul in his ministry. He trusted Paul. He served with Paul. He discipled Paul. And Paul did exactly the same with Timothy. He included Timothy in his ministry. In one of his letters, Paul says, I send you Timothy because there is no one else I trust more that will have your concerns at heart than Timothy. Insecure Timothy is no longer insecure. He's roaring lion Timothy. He is caring about you sincerely, Timothy. And so here it is. I've got a table for you. I'm going to make this simple, okay? Older generation. Include the younger generation. Give them something to run with. Trust them. Serve with them. And disciple them. Give them the baton. Younger generation. Be available when your parents call your name. Be available when those who have gone before you say come. Be faithful with what they've given you. Serve with the old generation. Honor them. They've run miles. Blood, sweat, and tears. 
so that we can be better. We need one final thing. If we're going to run the race as victors, one more thing, okay? One more thing. We need to be united in our goal. We have to have the same goal here, okay? What is the goal? Let's go back to Psalm 102, verse 21 and 22. It says this. That they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord. In Jerusalem is praise. And peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. Our united goal is that our lives and those of all the people we reach will worship God. Now, why worship? What is worship? Worship is this. Not this, I'm just thirsty. Worship is to submit to, sacrifice for, or obey something or someone. That which captures your heart, your mind, and your priorities is what you worship. And our world has a worship problem. Sin is a worship problem. It's a love and submission problem. It has captured our, it is what your heart has been captured by, your mind and your priorities. That is the problem. Three years ago, I had the honor of running our apologetics course during equip training. The apologetics is the art of giving an answer or a reason for our faith. It is this, the, the area of Christianity that intentionally engages with the, the philosophical and scientific and just various onslaughts, moral onslaughts on the Christian faith. So I was presenting this course and I asked Pastor Sam Siopa, who leads our Mama Lodi Church plant, um, to come and teach on Africanism. Africanism. And he came and he opened up. And he said, the first thing he said, I'll never forget it. He said, Africa does not have a poverty problem. Africa does not have a corruption problem. It does not have an incompetence problem. It does not have a knowledge or qualification problem. It does not have a slavery problem. It does not have a settler's problem. It has one problem, and it's a worship problem. If you alleviate poverty in a man's life who worships something other than God, they will, they will direct all of their resources to that thing which will cause destruction in other places. That's why when there was poverty, if there's poverty and you bring money, you find corruption. You find marginalization. Because the problem was not primarily money. It was worship. The problem was worship. What you worship determines how you will change. Determines what you will become. And if you give your life to anything other than Jesus... And that thing will master you, shake you, form you into exactly what it stands for. You worship social media image, what you look like, what you portray outward to the world, the amount of likes and follows that you get, then you will become insecure, anxious, and fear rejection. Because what do you worship? acceptance. So you will become fearful of rejection. That's just one example of how worship shapes who we become. So when we change goals, if the worship of God 
in the hearts and the lips of every person in this world is not our goal. We will drop the baton or we will run a different race. But it's not the plan of God. It's not His plan. It's not His race. So what we see is, we do see sometimes running for different goals. Um, we see hours devoted to building our own kingdoms, empires, um, our jobs. We see, we see insecurities. We see, we find our value and identity in our achievements. We see different goals. We've got to, as a church, as a family, say, we've got one goal. One goal. And all of our strategies and our mission statements and our values and everything points to this goal, the honor and worship of God in every nation. That is our goal. Um, I want to invite Diana up on stage, please, Diana, because, because this calls for a response. This message calls for a response from us. Okay? God's plan to see every knee bow. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. Great multitude, every tongue, tribe, and nation, every generation, worshiping the Lamb, worshiping before the throne, and saying the Lamb. That is our goal. That's the end goal we want to reach. We've got the gospel. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door. He is the good shepherd. He's the way we enter into the kingdom. Are we ready? To unite in our passion for the baton? Are we ready to unite in the way we honor one another as generations? Are we ready to unite and live for one goal? 